Father, we pray and ask you. Okay, we're good. So, <clears throat> I originally intended to cover the whole chapter, but when I got into this, I just thought, man, there's. I just want to camp here a little bit this morning in verses 1 through 6. And there are six things I want to mention, and the first one is do not lose heart. Um, the fact that it mentions this makes it very clear that it's possible to lose heart. Christians can lose heart. He's writing to Christians, and people in the ministry can lose heart. And so the first thing Paul says is don't lose heart. And then he spends the whole chapter, because he says it toward the very end of the chapter, he's going to say it one more time, don't lose heart. So it's like in the middle... Everything he's saying is to encourage us and tells reasons why we're not going to lose heart. <clears throat> so in the first, it says, therefore, having this ministry, like the ministry of the new covenant, this ministry, by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. It's like anyone who is involved in ministry must be strong and not lose heart. Discouragement will come even for the most effective and godly leaders. Because we operate out of God's mercy... And in order to offer God's mercy to others, we can be confident that God is for us and that our ultimate success is in His hands. If you are doing ministry for the Lord in any capacity with genuine motives, then do not lose heart. For God is working and moving. And there will be, this will all be revealed in time. There's a passage of Scripture that most people refer to Quite often, when they think about someone maybe losing heart, or they're going through something, and they always will uh, appeal, quite often will appeal to Romans 8.28. And that passage tells us um, that we are not to uh, interpret what's going on around us, because God works all things according to the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose. It's a wonderful promise for those people who have Christ. If you don't have Christ, that promise doesn't apply to you, but it could. If you would receive Christ, then you get these kinds of promises to come along with that. And then it also says, as he goes a little bit further, and he says, well, we go through a lot of trials in life. Would some of those trials separate us from God? And he says, no, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ, not Famine or persecution or death or war or affliction. There is nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. That we are more than conquerors through Christ who saves us, who died for us and saves us. So that's great news. If you're a Christian, don't lose heart. If you're going through something right now, don't lose heart. If you're doing ministry and your Bible study or your um, calling that God has given to you and you're, you're trying very hard to be a Christian and, and have the aroma of Christ in what you're doing, don't lose heart because God says that He is attentive to what we're doing and that He's working through the midst of it. A second thing to, to do for us is renounce all underhanded methods and do not trust those who tamper with God's Word. So when it comes to ministry, um, don't, don't take matters into your own hands. Don't try to do it your way. Don't bend on principle and just expect the outcome to be good. Paul said, we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's Word. 
but by the open statement of truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. So Paul's saying, we have striven to do this correctly, and God is our witness. That's kind of what he's saying. So if you're new to Christianity, it might seem shocking that he even, this is even put into the Bible, but anyone who's been around a, uh, uh, been around a while will know that religion can be a dirty business. Um, just, it's sad to say, but it can be. There's a lot that goes on in the name of religion. There's a lot that goes on in churches that can be very heartbreaking and, and discouraging. And so Paul was dealing with some of those things even in, the, even in the church there. And he was having to respond to some things that were kind of going on that were dirty business, that were underhanded, or people were tampering with the Word of God. So Satan will do anything to destroy God's work. Self-absorbed and power-hungry people often see opportunities in religion to get attention and notoriety. They'll see it in any place. There's any structure that is of, in existence that sometimes people will misuse that structure for themselves. And it's sadly true in the church as well. And so Paul's really calling on people, don't, don't, be, don't be deceived. Um, Satan will sneak in anywhere he can. Behind the scenes, in the lives of some leaders, sometimes if you are in the secret meetings, or if you get to know someone, you can be very disappointed. Sometimes among people who are setting themselves up and saying, well, we're Christians and we run a Christian organization and we're ministers or we're elders or we're deacons, um, sometimes <clears throat> they can work with underhanded ways, Paul says, or like under the table or cutting deals under the table. And Paul says everything should be above board in Christ's work. Um, you ever been part of an organization and this like everything's kind of handed under, done underhanded or the people who are leader aren't really transparent? And they're busy cutting deals, making phone calls, sending emails um, under the table, and people don't know what's going on. And they feel like, man, that wasn't honorable. And it happens in the best institutions. And therefore, Paul is saying we have to guard against that. And it's nowhere worse than when it's in the church of Christ. And he said that people are even willing to tamper with God's word. Uh, to me, there's a difference. So let me explain. There's a difference between someone having error and not knowing it. We all have error. No one has, no one here, I'm, I hate to tell you this, but no one here has perfect theology. There's going to be some things that you've been just so loudly trumpeting in your life and you get to heaven and go, I had that so wrong. Every one of you. Maybe me too. <laughs> um, but when it comes to tampering with the God's Word, that's on purpose. That's when someone's manipulating the Word of God. They're tampering. They know what they're doing. And they use the God's Word to get advantage. They use religion to get some kind of advantage on someone. And, and God says, don't have any part with that. Don't have any part with that. Jesus dealt with this in His ministry with the Pharisees. He dealt with it with the priest of God. The apostles had to deal with it everywhere they traveled. The Old Testament saints were constantly being led astray by false prophets and self-serving priests. And in Acts chapter 20, um, in verse 29 and 30, Paul was meeting with the elders, the church leaders from the church in Ephesus. 
and he told them that they better be, they needed to be careful. He says, when I leave, he says, you can count on it. When I leave, savage wolves will come in. And they'll turn people, they'll twist the Word of God and turn people toward their own advantage. They'll take the Word of God and use it for personal gain. And that's um, something we should always be aware of. Paul was talking to the church at Ephesus. And now he's writing to the church at Corinth saying something similar. So Paul had a pretty good idea that whenever a good work of God was going on, Satan's going to come along and put people in positions that are going to prove to be untrustworthy. And so every person that ever stands in a position should be willing to be above board and um, transparent. And every person should be willing to say, no, I don't mind having my life inspected. Uh, Number three, there's a veil over the minds of unbelievers that blocks the light of the gospel. I need to say that again because I don't know if you really got how important that is. There's a veil over the minds of unbelievers. If you're an unbeliever, I have some news for you. There's a veil over you that keeps you from believing the gospel. There's something that keeps you from understanding the gospel. And if you're a believer, I don't know if you realize that that was you until that veil was lifted. You or two were in that same, same shape, same condition. 2 Corinthians 4.3 And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. It's veiled. Human minds and lives are capable of doing amazing things. When we think about the human mind, it's capable of doing amazing things. There are often great displays of brilliance that reflect how marvelous God has made men and women. Human discoveries and inventions and wisdom and intellect are sometimes jaw-dropping. You ever hear someone say something go, whoa, or you see someone build something go, oh my word, or you, you listen to a song or you read a book and you go, man, God's made man smart. And he has. It's incredible. There are incredible things human beings are capable of doing and are doing. But there is one area that is blocked off. There is a blind spot. People cannot naturally see, not on their own, not unaided. They can't naturally see. They can do all these amazing things, but they cannot naturally see their deep spiritual need. And do not naturally, on their own, come to the realization that their greatest need can only be met through Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It's not natural for people to do that. Ephesians chapter 2, which is a very important chapter in the Bible, it describes what we were and what we are. It describes what we left and what, we came in, what we've come into. It describes our old way of existing and our new way of existing. You were dead. You are dead. If you're, if you're not, um, if you haven't become a Christian, then you're still dead. You're either dead or you were dead. And he's, he's writing to Christians. So to the Christians, he said, you guys were dead like everybody else. You were dead, spiritually dead. And the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, like that was your, sin was your way of life. You walked in it. You loved it. You were comfortable there. Following the course of this world, like you don't put up resistance, you pretty much, you either pick one worldly strategy, you may say, no, I'm my own person, but you're still following your other own persons. In other words, you're still connected to this world system. And he said, 
you're following the course. You are following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. That's another reference to Satan. This is the world. This is his domain, and you were part of it, and you were walking in it. You were enjoying it. You thought you might have been resisting um, certain things, but you're just following some form of this world. You are following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedient, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. In other words, our flesh is really what's driving us. Carrying out the desires of our body and the mind. You're making decisions solely based on what you want, what you think, what you think is right, where your appetites leave you, lead you, where your mind says, do this, and we're by nature children of wrath. That's the, the human mind that is blocked from the gospel light. This is such important information. I cannot overstress how important this information is for us as a gospel church. I, I want you to understand how important this truth is for you. If you have loved ones and you're trying to reach them, you need to know this information I'm giving today. If you're not sure where you are spiritually and you're like wondering, why do I not hunger for God? Why am I like bored with church? Why am I resisting the hand and work of God? You need to understand it's because you're blind. There's a veil. You can see many things. You can accomplish many things. You can do many things. You can even sound religious. But you're blind to the true nature of your desperate need for the gospel of Jesus because Satan has blinded you. Here's what it says. Or here's what I want you to understand. Our lost friends and neighbors, our lost family members, the people who need salvation, the people that we love so much and we so long for them to come to know Christ, cannot see the gospel so long as they remain in the dark under Satan's blinding spell. The spell must be broken. Gospel light must be accompanied with the veil-ripping power of the Holy Spirit. There must be great and earnest prayer to the Holy Spirit to rip away the thick curtain of unbelief. This is where the battle for souls must begin even before the evangelist arrives. Before the evangelist arrives, the Holy Spirit needs to arrive. Oh Lord, this is how we pray. Remove the veil that keeps the perishing souls in unbelief. That's what we need to say before we go out to evangelize. That's what we need to say before we come to church. That's what we need to say while we're in church. Lord, you, before I even evangelize, remove the veil that keeps perishing souls in unbelief. Why am I to think that preaching alone or evangelism alone or being kind alone or showing compassion could somehow break through the thick wall of unbelief? Lord, go before the evangelist with the battering ram driven and powered by the Holy Spirit. Without the Spirit, no one is saved. Without the light of the gospel, no one is saved. Not only can a person pray for the Spirit and ought a person to pray for the Spirit to tear down the walls keeping others in darkness. There is no greater thrill and no greater evidence that God is at work than when the heavenly hammer is smashing down a wall of unbelief 
when the person themselves begins to pray. It's one thing to pray for God to work. It's another thing when the person begins to pray for themselves for God to work. And there you begin to see the hammer is penetrating. You pray ahead. You pray before. But suddenly you recognize that God is working when the person themselves begins to become concerned for their soul. That is not the devil making a person care about their eternal soul. It has to be the hand of God and the move of the Spirit of God. And it is the sweetest sound to hear the battering ram of God. It's annoying if you live next to a bridge they're building. Bam, 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 bam. It is thrilling if the heavenly hammer is working on someone. Not only that you pray for that, but when that person themselves begins to say something like this, Lord, lift the veil of unbelief in my dark soul. It can be as simple as this. This is evidence of the work of God. Lord, show me the way. Open my eyes to the truth. When a person cries out something like this, this is evidence of the heavenly hammer at work. God, if you are real, show me. That is not natural for man to want that. He naturally wants the world and all it has to offer. He doesn't mind a little sprinkling of a religion, but nothing like the controlling, reigning Jesus Christ coming into his life. That is the hammer drill of God boring a hole through the rock of unbelief, letting the first ray of light into the soul that has suddenly become desperate to come out of the dark, out of the underworld, and dare to hope for the life of God. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful when the Spirit of God is knocking down the wall of unbelief to someone you've been praying for, evangelizing, they've sat in church service after church service after church service, they heard the gospel from the time they were little, they, they had some kind of something going on as they got a little bit older, but they get into those teen years and they're like going, it's sort of manifesting, I'm not sure they're interested in God at all. And God says, I can tear that veil. Continue to share the gospel and shine the light. But the light won't penetrate when the wall of unbelief is thick. Satan is the God of this world and he works constantly to keep people in the dark. And one of the primary areas of his focus is upon the human mind. Satan traffics in information. He sends out information and he is communicating, communicating, billboard here, billboard there, billboard. He is constantly advertising the things of this world to keep your mind occupied so that you're not interested in the reality of living for another world. And so you just live for this world. He'll, he's even figured out how to let you how to be. He is totally fine with you being religious as long as that's just part of you're trying to get all you can get for yourself in this world. Galatians 4, 4, in their case, that is those who are perishing, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel and the glory of Christ who is the image of God. Let me read that again. The God of this world, Satan, has blinded the mind of the unbelievers. Every one of them. It doesn't say some of them. 
He has a blinding power to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel. The light of the gospel is going out. People are hearing it. Why do some people remain in unbelief and, dis, and they're disinterested? It's because Satan is blinding them to the light of the gospel. Which gospel? The gospel of the glory of Christ. Who is Christ? Who is the image of God? The devil works and he's effective. He is real and alive and well. The Bible has so much information about Satan. And Jesus especially talked about Satan, confronted Satan, overcame Satan. No person ever did ministry with a greater, even perfect knowledge of Satan's strategies and message than Jesus. Jesus knew the hearts of men and he knew the ways of the God of this world. He never trifled with Satan he didn't underestimate Satan. He didn't joke about Satan. He knew that his life and ministry would have to take Satan head on and battle him at every step and every inch and for every soul. In the Bible, he has informed us of the weapons that we are to use, both offensive and defensive weapons. So I recommend another portion of Scripture to you is you need to be familiar with spiritual warfare in Ephesians 6, 10 through 20. And there we are told every day to put on the whole armor of God that we may stand against the devil's schemes in the evil day. We are living in the evil day and therefore we must be prepared every single day to stand against Satan's strategies and schemes. He calls them fiery darts. In Ephesians, they're called fiery darts. And we are told to put on armor from head to toe because those darts can penetrate any area left unprotected. And therefore, we are taught in Ephesians 6 how that we might prepare ourselves for Satan's strategies and schemes. In the Life Application Study Bible, there's a little... Uh, um, paragraph in there that I thought was good. Satan is the God of this age. His work is to deceive and he blinds those who don't believe in Christ. The allure of money, power, and pleasure blind people to the light of Christ's gospel. Those who reject Christ and prefer their own pursuits have unknowingly made Satan their God. So how can we, in light of this powerful capability of Satan and his blinding power, how can we possibly think to be successful as servants of God or evangelists or friends in Christ in a world that is run by an evil dictator who rules the entire underworld and who opposes God with all his might and fury? Sometimes we are so naive that it's shocking and our strategies are so easily countered by Satan because we are often ignorant of his devices or even act as if he doesn't even exist. In 2 Corinthians 2.11 it says we would not be outwitted by Satan for we are not ignorant of his designs. You must be familiar with his designs. Matthew 4.1 Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. The devil put his full focus on trying to get Jesus to fail and Jesus knew exactly what he was up to and it knew exactly how to respond to him. In 
in John, three different times, Jesus refers to Satan as the ruler of this world. John 12, 31, John 14, 30, John 16, 11, he refers to Satan as the ruler of this world. It can't be any more clear how powerful Satan is and where his domain is. In 2 Timothy 2, 25 and 26, God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. They may come to their senses and escape from the snares of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. He describes people as being captured by Satan, carrying out Satan's will, who don't even know that they're doing that. Don't even, most of them don't even believe there's such a thing as a devil, but they're captured by him carrying out his will. In 1 John 5, 19, it says, We know that we are from God, and the whole world, by contrast, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. The whole world. Not just people who are part of a so-called satanic cult. The world is a satanic cult. The whole place. You have to leave the domain of the kingdom of darkness and come into the light. You're already there. There might be churches of Satan that are unashamedly worshiping Satan, but most of the world does it and they don't even have a clue. It's the reality. The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. 1 John 5, 19. As much as Paul wanted everyone to be saved, as zealous and faithful as he was to preach the gospel and do evangelism, he was aware of a huge problem in the minds and hearts of every audience to whom he would preach. Every person he was able to share the gospel with had the same horrible problem. They could not see nor understand what he was saying. They could not believe his message. It did not make sense. They could not see themselves as guilty and desperate sinners, nor imagine that Jesus, a mere man in their eyes, could possibly be God and that this disgraceful death on a Roman cross could have anything to do with them and their eternal destinies. There are people that hear the gospel and they go, what does that have to do with me? There are people that hear the gospel and go, I don't need anybody to die a horrible death like that for me. I'm not that bad. I'm not in that great of a need. And that is blinding. And that's why people end up in hell because they don't understand how desperately they need Christ and what He has done for them. The gospel is veiled to those who are perishing. The very people who need to be saved cannot see that they need to be saved. They simply don't get it. They're not interested. Something is blocking their view. Someone is messing with their minds. Everyone comes into the world with a veil. And that veil is a part of our fallen sinful nature. Our natural desire in life is to please ourselves and to control our own destinies and to be in charge as much as we possibly can. But the reality is we are never in charge. We are never really in control, even when we imagine we are. There are powers and forces in play all over the world and every person has to deal with these forces on a daily basis. There is a veil that makes people believe and imagine things that are not real. 
Everyone is being gaslighted, even those who think they are running the show. We need to be totally convinced of this truth or we will be wasting our time doing evangelism and preaching to the lost. No person was ever more aware of this fact than Jesus and no person was ever more determined to save the perishing and no one ever communicated the gospel more effectively and perfectly than did Jesus. And never did the veil seem more real than all the people who heard the world's greatest evangelist and rejected him. No better evidence that the veil is there than the fact that people walked away from the greatest evangelist that ever lived in the history of the world. Jesus preached and not everyone was saved. Why? Because there was a veil over their eyes. You might say, well, if I had heard Jesus preach, I would be saved. No, you wouldn't have. Because you have heard Jesus preached. Jesus is being preached to you right now. And if you're unbelief now, then you would have been unbelief then. Seeing Jesus wouldn't have changed what your heart can't see now. What needed to happen, you don't need to see Jesus back then. You need to see Jesus right now. What happened is the same thing that had to happen back then. The veil had to be lifted. And for those for whom the veil was lifted, they saw Jesus and embraced Him. And that's what needs to happen every time the gospel is preached. So, 1 Corinthians 2.14, the natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. Like, we don't naturally align with God. For they are folly to Him. They don't make sense. He is not able, this is... 2 Corinthians 2.14, he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. He doesn't have the equipment. He doesn't have the right antenna. It's not coming in. A focus, it's blurry. He doesn't understand why he needs it. And the Holy Spirit is the one who can fine-tune. He's the one that can hook up the antenna. The natural man can't do it on his own. He needs the Spirit of God. John 3.19, which by the way is just three verses past John 3.16, everyone preaches that whosoever believes in the gospel shall be saved, which is absolutely true, but there's a very vital truth, a couple of verses behind it that tell us that, well, there's still a problem here. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and the world loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his work should be exposed. So the natural man says this, I don't like the light of the gospel because it's convicting of my, my sin and I'm not ready to give up my sin. Now if you can tell me a way I can be saved without giving up my sin, then I'll go for it. I'll take a Jesus like that. And people reinvent Jesus and they come up with a gospel that says, well, you can have your sin and you have Jesus. And so they begin to distort and tamper with the Word of God and they begin telling people like, we won't talk about repentance. That's like, people don't like repentance. People don't go to a church that talks about repentance. We won't talk about this sin because people don't want to go to a church that talks about this sin. We won't address these issues because people don't want to go to a church. We'll just get them saved and let God work out however He wants to. It's like, no, we don't, it's not our prerogative. It's not our right. We are not inventors of the gospel. We are ambassadors of the gospel. And an ambassador has to represent the one who sent him. And that's what we must do. That's why we must um, declare the gospel in all its fullness and glory. So here's the question. What can we do about this veil? 
Well, how did we come to believe? How did the veil get lifted in our case? How, did, how were we believing if there was a veil? Somehow we see the gospel. Many of you love Christ and you see the gospel. And somehow the veil was lifted. So how did the veil ever get lifted in our case? When and how did we begin to question the system? When did we begin to mistrust the information we were being fed on a daily basis? When did we see the light? Will those whom I love and care about and I'm trying to share the gospel with, will they ever be able to come and see if there's a veil there? Can anyone lift the veil? What needs to happen before a person is willing to pull back the curtain and ask if they are seeing the world as it truly is or if they're being duped and deceived and merely believing the endless propaganda from a power and force that is greater than, that, than the natural eye can see? What are we up against? In Galatians 3, in 1, 3 to 5, it says that we need to be delivered by Christ Himself for our sins, who gave Himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age, according to the will of God. In Job 1.7, the Lord asked Satan, he said, well, where have you been? He says, um, from going to and fro on the earth, from walking up and, and down upon it. So where are we going to find our help? The God of this world is Satan and he is real and powerful and active and clever and effective and he has endless strategies and schemes and can adjust in any situation and he is relentless and he never grows weary of opposing God, never stops roaming the earth to disrupt and destroy God's plans and attack God's people. But if there is one goal above all other goals that Satan has and that keeps him occupied, it's to keep people in the dark. He labors with all his might to blind the minds of unbelievers, to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel. He desires to stop all bearers and messengers of the light. He hates the children of the light. He hates the light above all things. Jesus is light and therefore he hates Jesus. Jesus is what he wanted to be. He hates and groans and shrieks and agonizes when Jesus is lifted up and exalted. He despises when Jesus takes the stage. He is unhinged when the spotlight is turned on Jesus and Jesus is worshipped and praised and adored. Every conversion from His kingdom into the kingdom of Jesus, every convert, every new recruit to Jesus is a dagger to His soul. Therefore He toils night and day to keep people in the dark. He focuses great resources upon the minds of unbelievers to blind them to the gospel, to the truth of the gospel. He lies and deceives and confuses. He distracts, he lures, he seduces. He rapes the minds of children and intimidates, uses fear, guilt, manipulation, rages in anger, mocks, oppresses. His methods and strategies and victories are plastered upon the pages of every newspaper, flowing endlessly through every media outlet. He fills the songs and the books and the advertisers. He fights for control in the schools and universities. He fights for a seat on every school board. He wants to be on every town council. He strives to promote on every billboard, roams tirelessly across Facebook and TikTok and Instagram, seeking to gain control and dominate the endless caverns of human desire with more desires, more pleasures of this world's finest offerings. And then when he lands a hook into your soul, he begins to drag you deeper and deeper into the darkness to take you farther and farther away from the slightest ray of, and light of truth. 
He relentlessly seeks ways to reprogram your mind, to distrust, even mock and resist the light of God. But what are we to do? True servants of God proclaim Jesus as Lord. Chapter 4, verse 5. We proclaim, what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Nothing is more clear and prominent in a true community of believers and in a solid church than the fact that Jesus Christ is Lord. No one else is Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus, the one born of Mary, the incarnate Son of God, Christ, the one promised of old, is Lord. He is King. This means Jesus is the leader and the one in charge. What Jesus says is the final word. This does not exclude the Father and the Spirit as the Trinity is one God. But any group that denies the deity of Jesus cannot be a true church. Anyone who rejects Jesus as Lord, declaring that He is not on the same, declaring that he is not on the same level with God that Jesus is would be a heretic. Any religion that rejects the deity of Jesus is a false religion. Any religion that suggests you need another person like Muhammad or Mary or Martin Luther or Peter or Paul or your favorite Bible teacher is proclaiming a false gospel. Remember, you cannot take Jesus out and you cannot add anyone else in. We proclaim the only way to God is through Jesus, who is the only Savior proclaimed in the gospel, who is the only Savior promoted by the Holy Spirit, and who is the only mediator recognized by the Father. All true church and true gospel messengers proclaim not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as happy, lowly servants. Anyone who is not willing to serve others is not serving God. Lastly, the Spirit can shine gospel light into any dark soul and bring salvation. There's, he says in the final verse here, 6, God, the God who said, let light shine of the darkness, God who spoke light into being in the physical realm, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So the God who created light in Genesis 1 can speak light into our souls right here, right now. He can break the wall of resistance and bring the light of the gospel in. And so I want to just ask you as we close, what is your belief about the gospel? Do you understand, and maybe you're here today and you're thinking, I, you're sensing and God is working and you're thinking, I, I struggle believing the gospel. Then you need two things. You need the truth of the gospel and you need the Holy Spirit to drill a hole through the rock of unbelief. You not only need the gospel to be clearly proclaimed, but you need light to penetrate your hard heart. And you cry and say, Lord God, you start right here. If you're here today and you're not a Christian and want to know how to become a Christian, then I'm going to simply say, you begin by saying this, Lord, I understand 
the claim that Jesus died on the cross. But there's a wall of resistance in my heart to that truth. And I want you, I want you to help me bring that wall down and I'm prepared to declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is my Lord. I'm ready to turn my back on this world system. The world's been lying to me long enough. I'm prepared to declare Jesus Christ as Lord. Jesus, the one born of Mary. Jesus, the one that hung on the cross. Jesus, the one that rose from the dead. I'm ready, Lord, to receive Jesus. I understand it. And now I'm ready to surrender to His will. And His, uh, give the throne to Him. And if you're a Christian and you're sitting here and you say, well, what is there for me? There's two things. The first thing is, you need to understand that Satan is still very interested in blinding you. He can bring so much information against your mind. He comes into your mind. He throws things at you 24-7. If you got your head locked into all the methods where Satan communicates, my friend, you are filling the hole that God built with the gospel with putty. All the holes that the gospel is trying to let light into your soul. You go right back to Satan's strategies and all the mediums in which he communicates and you're filling the holes back up and you're going darker and darker. And you got to uncork those holes, my friend. You got to tell the devil that he does not have the right to feed you information 24-7. And you're going to get yourself in the light of God's Word. And you're going to begin reading the Word of God and asking God to help free you and set you free. If you are so hooked to your phone or your computer or your source of information, you're so hooked to those things and you're getting a barrage of Satan's lies into your head day after day after day, how in the world do you expect to live according to the light of the gospel when you keep plugging up all the holes through which the gospel is supposed to shine into your heart? That's what we have to do. We come, we first of all ask the Holy Spirit to blast a hole so the light gets in. And then once the light gets in, He brings the wall down. And we understand the gospel. It totally, totally shatters your view of the way the world works and totally gives you a whole new paradigm to see. Becoming a Christian is replacing your old paradigm for understanding the world it completely blasts that thing to smithereens and gives you a whole new grid through which you see life in the world. And it's amazing. And then you have to be careful you don't start letting Satan start stacking those bricks back up with misinformation. Okay? So that's what we have today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for all that you do for us and thank you that um, we know that Satan is powerful and effective and we were once completely under his power. But we just praise you and thank you that the power of God is greater than the power of darkness. Thank you, God, for that heavenly hammer that can just drill right through the inertia and drill right through the rock of our unbelief. I pray right now, God, if you've been working today, right here, right now, and someone has just come under this, um, you've been letting the lights just been coming in today, coming in during the preaching. I pray, Lord, right now, if there's someone here that just wants to cry out to you and say, Lord God, have mercy on my soul. I am ready to give my life to you. I'm ready to follow you. 
I'm ready to let the light in. I pray right here, right now, oh God, if that's anyone in this room, I just ask you right now, tell Jesus, I am ready for you to come into my life. I'm ready to claim you as my Lord. I'm ready to take up the way of life and I'm ready to follow you. And I pray that right now, there may be someone praying that prayer right this second. If that is anyone in this room, I want you to raise your hand right now. Just make, respond to what's going on in your heart in such a way that right here, right now, you're going to follow up what God is doing by simply raising your hand. And it's not for anybody else other than just you and God. But sometimes when we physically act, it seals what's going on spiritually. And now I want to pray for those of you here who have been letting too much information in that's not of God. Right now, as we sing, I want you to pray and say, Lord God, I'm letting too much information in. I'm being gaslighted every single day and I've been buying all the lies. I need to spend more time in your word. I just need your word to wash through me and I need to make gospel content more important in my life. I need to get the word in my soul because Satan is putting way more content into my heart than God is right now. But you're the one that God wants to move on that. God wants you to make a commitment. I need more gospel light getting into my soul because I've found myself in a dark place lately. But Father, we bring these two primary requests to you and I just pray that you would minister as this closing song, that we would sing your praise, but also that we would make fresh commitments to you right here right now in Jesus' name.